You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. And we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Travis, I'm the pastor of preaching and theology here at Grace Point Church Northwest. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to download the YouVersion app. All you have to do is type in Grace Point Church Northwest in the events tab there. All the notes and stuff are in there and you can follow along. Also, if this is your first time joining us this afternoon, I want to be the first to welcome you. We want you to know that Grace Point Church Northwest is a place where anyone, and we really mean this, where anyone can come as they are, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey, to discover and strengthen relationship with Jesus. And we're glad that you're here. All we're going to ask you to do is to pull out your phone and text the word welcome to the number you see up on the screen. Once you do that, go ahead and fill out that information. Then sometime this week, we will drop off a free gift at your door. Now, we're going to be just like Amazon. We're going to ring. We might wave at you, but we're going to take off. We're not going to linger around. But the difference between us and Amazon is that what we drop off is really free. So if you like coffee, you like tumblers, and it's hot, fill that out. We'll drop off something this week just to say thank you for coming. Let me pray for us, and then we are going to dive into our text. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for your, your love and your... Uh, just grace that you pour out on us through Jesus. And I just pray right now, Father, as we go through the word, uh, that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight because you are my rock and my redeemer. And I pray, Father, that your word rest on our hearts as we see fit. I don't know people's hearts, but you're the one who sees past the exterior into the interior. So God, we just invite you to work. We pray that your word goes forth. It does not come back void. And we just love you and thank you for it. I just pray right now that in all this, Jesus, that you are lifted up and that uh, people are drawn to you for your glory and their joy. We promise in your name, amen. Now this afternoon, we're gonna be concluding our teaching series through the book of Philippians that we've entitled Unshakable Joy. And today we're gonna see that there is joy in finding your contentment in Jesus and in Jesus's mission. You see, back during the the first revival that ever took place in America, it was believed that a man rode his horse up to a preacher by the name of John Wesley, a famous preacher, and he screamed out at him, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, I got terrible news. Your house burned down. Now, how would you react if you just got news that your house burned down? Well, it's told that Wesley paused for a moment and then very calmly he said, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. See, one of the things that you and I have to understand is that we really don't own anything. Everything we have in our lives is a gift given to us graciously by God. What Wesley was doing wasn't rehearsing some wishful thought, but declaring a powerful truth, and that is everything in our lives is given to us by God and is to be used for his glory. If you don't believe me, just check out these verses with me really quick. Look at Exodus 9, 5. It says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. What is God's? It's okay, you can say it to me. What does God say is his in this text? The earth, right? I mean, that's like a drop the mic moment. He says, it's all mine. But God's not done. If you look over at Deuteronomy 10, 14, we read this. Behold, to the Lord, your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Now, God says, not only is the earth his, but what is also his? Heaven. 
I mean, you guys are killing it. Everybody's getting an A so far. Look at the next verse, Job 40, 41, 11. Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God is saying that anything we give to him is not something we give from our own creation, but rather what we are is we are a bunch of re-gifters. Some of you guys can't stand re-gifting. You know what I'm talking about? Where they just take the present from Christmas, package it back up and give it to the kid on the birthday because they won't play with it anyway. You see, but all of us before God, we are just re-gifters because he says, you can't give me anything I didn't first give to you. And finally, when you look in Psalm 24, one, listen to what it says. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof the world and all those who dwell within. Why share all this? It's because everything you have and everything that I have has been given to us by God to be used with joy for his glory. But if we're honest, what we tend to do is instead of finding our contentment in God, we tend to find contentment in his gifts that he has given us. One theologian by the name of John Calvin says that all of our hearts are like an idol factory, constantly pumping out new idols. We're constantly seeking our ultimate contentment in the things created rather than in our creator. That is why Jesus literally spent 25% of his earthly ministry teaching about wealth and material possessions. And Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 34, listen to what he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying is he knows there is a direct line from our hearts to our wallets and whatever you and I invest in will tend to monopolize our time, our affections and our attitudes. Don't believe me, recently I just got this new phone that I'm keeping a timer on so I don't keep you here all night. Now, when I got that phone, what do you think I did? I thought about it all the time. I studied it, I tried to figure out the facial recognition, how it'll open up so I can actually use it. I downloaded apps, I made sure my kids didn't touch it. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about if you invest in a new stock. Maybe you're not into stocks, but one of the things that you'll find happens when you start investing in stocks, you start reading things you never read before. You start following the stock market. Why? Because you invested in it. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In our text, we are going to see that not only is everything we have belong to God, but true unshakable joy comes from finding contentment in Jesus as well as in Jesus's mission. And that's why Paul writes this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, Paul doesn't want us to misunderstand what he's saying here. He doesn't say that the Philippians didn't care about him. He's just saying that when his need came about, initially they had no opportunity to help. It's not that they lacked in sympathy, they lacked in opportunity. We know what this is like. Many of us have a friend or a family member that was going through a tough time and they needed help. But what do we tend to do? We oftentimes find ourselves in a position not necessarily ready to help. We're kind of like the Philippians. We don't know why they weren't ready to help. We know from our time through this book that they suffered persecution, that they were enduring poverty and disunity. Maybe Paul wasn't accessible. However, we do find out that once they had opportunity, they absolutely blew Paul's mind with their generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says that even though they were poor, they gave way above and beyond their means. They actually looked at Paul and begged him for the opportunity to contribute to Jesus's mission through him. And what you need to notice is that Paul doesn't rejoice in the Philippians, does he? He doesn't necessarily rejoice in the gift, but who does he rejoice in? He rejoices in the Lord. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The gift of the Philippians revealed what Jesus has done in their lives. Think about what Paul is doing here. He's trying to help the Philippians to see and rejoice in the work Jesus has done in their lives. It's almost as if Paul is thanking Jesus in front of them. You can only picture what this must have been like as this letter was read out to this early church. And they get to this chapter in chapter four. And the next thing you know, Paul is just rejoicing how God is using them. And the church is looking at each other going, yes, Jesus is really amongst us. The question you gotta ask yourself is when is the last time somebody thanked God because of you being in their life? Or perhaps a better question is when is the last time you thank God for the way he used somebody else to bless you in your life? My wife, Jess, has the gift of hospitality. She makes food that I have never, ever uh, been able to create on my own. And that's not saying a whole lot, okay? I just made the bar down here, but it needs to be up here because she's amazing. And I tell her all the time, I thank God for the gift of hospitality, the way he uses her to make people feel welcome in our home. We used to provide lunch when we were meeting in school once a month to the teachers and faculty at that school. And my wife prepared it, but she also made it look appetizing. You come to my house and it's me, I just throw, you know, microwave pizza out, have fun but Jess even makes microwave pizza look better than it's supposed to be. I can only think about the different people within this church and I don't wanna call them by, out by name because I don't wanna embarrass them, but I thank God for the way he is using them. That is what Paul is doing. He's saying, I thank God for you guys because the evidence of your faith is seen through your generosity. Now, Paul doesn't want them just to rejoice in what he, see, what he sees Jesus doing in their lives, but he also wants them to see how Jesus is at work in his life. He wants them to see how Jesus is really his contentment. Look at verses 11, 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Paul isn't boasting in himself. He's not saying he's Superman and that he needs nothing, that he's got everything he needs in himself. That's not what he's saying at all. Rather, what he is saying is that everything he needs to be content in this life is in Jesus. You see, Paul wasn't Paul-sufficient or self-sufficient, but rather he is what? Jesus-sufficient. He is sufficient and content, not because he's independent, but because he is completely dependent upon Jesus. You see, in the Bible, it basically says that being rich or poor is not better than the other. Both of them have their temptations. Both of them have their dangers. Look at Proverbs 30, seven through nine. It says this, two things I've asked of you. Deny them not, not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Not my wants, but what I need, right? He says, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see, both the poor and the rich can do what? Deny God. But I would argue in the Western United States where we live, we need to realize that we need God's help just as much as in, in affluence as in poverty. You see, Paul knew what it was like to live large, if you will. He rolls into Philippi. The first person that becomes a Christian in a church is the lady by the name of Lydia. Now, Lydia is a Fortune 500, probably CEO fashion designer. We find she deals in purple cloth. She's from Thyatira. And I can only imagine that when Paul went over to her house, he had a nice meal, right? But Paul also tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 
that he knows what it's like, not just to abound, but to be brought low. He knows what it's like to be in prison. He knows what it's like to endure a sleepless night, to be homeless and to be hungry. You see, Paul experienced both abundance and scarcity. And what does he say? I needed, him, I needed them both to learn that neither of them are better than Jesus. So what do you need to be content? What is it right now that if you got it, you would be happy? Maybe for you, it's not what you get, but it's what you can get rid of. You see, maybe it's a TV, maybe it's a bigger house, or maybe it's downsizing and trying to get rid of things. I can remember when we bought our first, I think it was our first flat screen TV. You know what I'm talking about? You walk into Costco and you go, I can never afford that. And then somehow you get the ability to buy one that's like five years older than that, right? But it's still really cool. And so we hung that up downstairs, my father and I, of our house when we were living in another state. We put it up high enough that I didn't think my kids were gonna touch it. I was filled with joy because I'm like, I will see basketball on this, on this TV in a way I've never seen it before. But it was almost instantaneous as we put that TV up on the wall, walked up the stairs, I heard one of my kids go, oh no. I go downstairs to find out the kid who will not be named had took a mic stand and hit the TV putting a scratch on it. I was joyful, I was happy, but then the joy was gone. I learned what the great philosopher Notorious B.I.G. said, mo money comes mo problems. You see, it's not all of that. But I've also in my life tried to downsize thinking that will bring us joy. And for a while there, whenever we would move, we had this box of these things. They're so ancient. I don't even know if you know what they are, called VHS tapes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like they're basically like a brick. And so we had a box full of them because we were watching them. We went to DVD and now we don't even use DVDs. So Jess got tired of moving around and she threw it out on the side of the, like on the sidewalk for pickup, thinking, hey, if we downsize, we don't have to move this again. There's joy in that. It wasn't until that night that I looked at her, I said, hey, did you pull the wedding singer out of that box? And she said, oh, I don't know. Now, why is the wedding singer important? Well, when Jess and I were dating, I took that video and at the very end of it, I recorded myself over Adam Sandler singing, I wanna grow old with you. I recorded myself proposing to her. Now she ran out on that curb and it was gone. Somebody had lifted it, they didn't even wait for the trash. And somebody right now in Las Vegas is watching the wedding singer going, who is that guy with a Kentucky hat on? It sounds funny. You see, Paul was content in every situation, in abundance and when being brought low, why? Because he wasn't preoccupied with his circumstances, but with Jesus. And here's the secret. When you're focused on Jesus, you can be content on any circumstance. When you're focused on Jesus and his mission, you have joy in every situation. Because when you're at that nice dinner party, what do you have an opportunity to do? Talk about Jesus. And when you're in prison, what do you have an opportunity to do? Talk about Jesus. Why? For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And who or what, or better yet, who was Paul's treasure? Jesus. That's what it means when he says, I can do all things through him, that is Jesus, who strengthens me. Now, this is the most abused text in all the Bible. We see this all over athletes. We see this everywhere. They quote Philippians 4.13, I can do anything through Christ. But let me throw this at you. Do you think I can dunk a basketball? Nathan says, no, he has no faith in me. And he's absolutely right. You see, I could quote Philippians 4.13 until I'm blue in the face, but me ducking a basketball is not a matter of faith, it's a matter of height and vertical ability. 
Who in here thinks and would put a million dollars down that I could have a baby? Some of you are like, I will never get that out of my mind. I can quote Philippians 4.13, but there is no way I can have a baby. Why? It is impossible. What Paul is doing here is he's talking about contentment and material possessions. And it doesn't matter if he's in a penthouse or an outhouse, if he's high, like abounding, or if he is low, his eyes are focused on Jesus and Jesus's mission. And in that, it brings him joy. The great philosopher, Jeff Gordon, once said this, either you focus or you end up hitting something really hard. And some of you are like, who's Jeff Gordon? Race car driver, get it? He hits a wall if he doesn't focus. But listen to what he says. You either focus or you're gonna hit something hard. And that's why we've got to remember what the author of Hebrews says when he says this in Hebrews 13, five, keep your life from the f- free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who is saying that there? Jesus. Jesus is saying money, don't love money. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Money is amoral. It's a tool. But when we love money and it becomes God, I will tell you this, it does what all idols do. As C.S. Lewis says, idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. And that's why he's saying, don't love money. Remember what? I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Because true contentment is only in Jesus and Jesus' mission. Now, Paul really wants them to get this point that he's content in Jesus and he's thankful for what Jesus is doing in their lives. Listen to what he says in verses 14 through 17. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once, uh, once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What does Paul say here? He says from day one, the Philippians had skin in the game. They financially supported them as they could and they helped further the mission of of Jesus through Paul. And what does Paul call them? He calls them partners. You see, Paul knew sympathy was good and sympathy is important, but sympathy is not enough. It takes resources for the gospel to go other places and to start new churches. And though the Philippians were a small, impoverished church, they were supporting the work of starting new churches around the world. Think about this for a second. For Paul, the Philippians weren't customers. They were co-laborers. They were partners in his work in Thessalonica. And sadly today, and this is gonna be hard to hear and it's hard to say, but it is so true that in the church today, there are a lot more customers than there are co-laborers. There are that people that come in and they come under the teaching and they hear the teaching. They experience the care and community of the church. They might even have their needs met through the church, but they don't financially contribute to the mission of what is going on. And the question you gotta ask yourself is this, are you more of a co-laborer or are you a customer? And why is that? What could that reveal about where you're seeking to find your contentment? Don't miss what Paul is saying here. Paul is not rejoicing in the fact they gave him a gift. Rather, he is thankful that they are growing in Jesus. What does he say? I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, that you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Remember that our wallets are tied to our hearts. Remember the phone. 
Remember, remember the TV, right? Like, remember these things. I was concerned about them. Well, how concerned do you think the Philippians were for the Thessalonians? I would argue they were extremely concerned. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One theologian says it like this. God wants your heart. He is not looking just for donors for his kingdom, those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He is looking for disciples immersed in the causes that they give to. Let me read that one more time. God wants your heart. He isn't looking just for donors for his kingdom. God's not needy. Rather, those are looking those who are donors to his kingdom, those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He's looking for disciples immersed in the causes they give to. He's looking for the disciples' heart. So many of us, we have what is called an IRA account, right? An individual retirement account. Heard a pastor this week say we need an IEA account. And I know it's cheesy, but it stuck with me. We need an individual eternal account. And maybe the way you can grow in your commitment in Christ during this time and gain more of a heart, what he's doing through his church and the work being done is by putting some skin in the game and giving. Watch as your interest and your contentment increases as you do so. Why is that? It's because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul says that not only is his contentment grown, but that our obedience and giving is pleasing and acceptable to God. It makes God smile. Listen to what he says in verses 18 through 20. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours. Underline that if you need to. Need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What smells attractive to you? If I walk into my house and I smell a steak grilling, oh, that's a wonderful smell. If I, if I smell that cookies are being baked, it's a wonderful smell. If I smell my wife's perfume, it's a wonderful smell. In a similar way, what Paul is doing is he's pointing back to the Old Testament sacrifices. And he's saying that our obedience and giving is like a pleasant fragrance to God. You see, you and I, we do not give to earn anything from God. Remember, we're a bunch of re-gifters, repackaging the things God has given us and giving them back to him. But what we have to see is this, he loves when we worship him through giving because it reflects who he is. My kids um, tend to reflect who I am for better or for ill. Okay, so I'll just talk about some of the good ones. <laughs> like, like when they start saying all that in a bag of chips, I say that a lot, I don't know why. My kids, sometimes they'll talk really fast with their hands because as you see me up here, I'm usually making a salad and then I'm sharing it with you, right? Because I don't know what to do with my hands. My kids tend to reflect my mannerisms and my actions. As I've gotten older, Jess has said to me often, you look and you sound more and more like your dad every day. You see, when we give, we do so because our father is the one who first gave. Remember, everything you have, has been graciously given to you by God, yes, for your enjoyment, not to worship, but to enjoy. If you take a breath right now, think about it. Did you earn that? Do you deserve that? 
No, God graciously gives that. And when you think about how we are made right with God and brought into a relationship with him, it's not because we first loved him, but rather what does the scripture say in 1 John? He first loved us and sent his son to do what? To bring us back into a relationship with him through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. You and I are never more reflecting who God is than when we live generously and support his mission in the world. Paul finishes up by talking about the fruit or the product of them placing their treasure in Jesus. Listen to what he says in verses 21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Who greets them? Those who are part of the very unit that is guarding Paul while he's in prison. You see, the Philippians gave, and what did it do? It nursed Paul, and what did Paul do in response to their gift? He continued to share the gospel with the people he was possibly chained to or under house arrest amongst. That the very ones who have thrown him in jail or holding him in jail, he looks at them and he shares the gospel with them. And what does he call them? He calls them saints. To be a saint is not to be somebody that we pray through or somebody we venerate, but rather to be a saint means just simply this, You've been set apart by God for his purposes. Just the other day, we went to D's Donuts. And uh, when uh, it came time to eat the last donut, I went to get it only to find out that everything was licked off the top of that donut. Why was that? It's because my son looked at it and said, that's my donut. And so he called dibs and he licked it. He sanctified it. He made it a saint, if you will. He didn't worship it, but he set it apart and said, what? Mine. When you become a saint, in Christ, God is declaring mine, dibs, this one belongs to me. He doesn't lick you, that would be weird. But he saves you and he brings you into his family and he sets you apart for his purposes. How? Paul tells us, all by grace. You see, the grace of Jesus, when it comes into your life, it draws you into a relationship with God. Dead scales fall from our eyes and we see God who he is and we long for him as our loving father. But we also see that the same grace that saves us, God pours into our hearts to do what? To grow us to be more like Jesus, to give us new desires, new affections, new passions. And it is this grace that led a friend of mine, a coworker of mine to leave here in Las Vegas, to pack up his family and his kids, to cherish and treasure in Jesus and Jesus's mission, and to go over to Uganda to lead an orphanage, not knowing if he ever is gonna come back but finding unbelievable joy because his joy isn't in his circumstances. His joy is in Jesus and Jesus's mission. Here at Grace Point Church Northwest, we try to be extremely generous and to support our partners, Andrew, who's over in Ireland and Karim, who's in Turkey. These men are over there planting churches, doing the hard work, especially Karim in Turkey. His circumstances, honestly, there's not a lot of joy in them a lot of the times. But here's what I will tell you. He finds joy, not in his circumstances, but in Jesus and what? Jesus's mission. It's the reason why I tell you we make masks for people. It's the reason we deliver pizzas, not because we believe pizza is gonna save anybody. It's from Costco. Sometimes it makes us feel worse. I don't know, but you know what? We can give pizza out and love our community. We can make masks for the least and most vulnerable amongst us. Because their circumstances, there's no joy, but we have an opportunity to point them to Jesus and Jesus's mission. 
You see, God owns it all. I believe John Wesley was right. It's his house, it's not mine. It's his car, it's not mine. It's even his TV, it's not mine. And we are called to find unshakable joy by being content in Jesus and Jesus' mission and looking for opportunities to use those things to serve others. Because in that, there is unshakable joy. And that concludes the book of Philippians. You see, joy is not found in anything that is out there. Joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. He's the only one who can give you joy in the midst of a pandemic. Are you trusting in him? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much that you are such a generous God, a God who has been so good to us, who lavishes things into our lives that oftentimes we don't even ask for, maybe we take for granted. A sunset or a sunrise just shows off your glory. Seeing the the twinkle in my daughter's eye shows off your glory. And I don't know how a spider does, but God, you do. We know that nothing in this world, nothing in this world is provided because you are stingy, but rather we get to enjoy them because you are so generous. And most of all, we get to enjoy the relationship we have with you because you came first through Jesus to bring us back to you. So Father, I pray that we can just find our joy and contentment in him. And if somebody in this room doesn't yet know Jesus, I pray, Father, that before they leave, that you sweetly draw them to your son, help them see the goodness of who he is and what he has done and what he's continuing to do. We pray all this in your name, amen.